code that that's how we have this set up just to make sure we're safe just in case anything gets weird. So yeah. and I will, we'll be monitoring the chat for questions. And at the end, if people want to like raise their hand and Hello, welcome everyone. We are going to get started in just a few minutes as more people come in from the waiting room, but thank you so much for being here with us today. along with the music at your body. <laughs> Just wanted to say welcome back. I see some faces who joined us for our workshop this morning. So thank you one for coming back and two for waiting with us. We really appreciate it. It's nice to see you back in our in our Zoom room again. familiar faces, people I happen to be related to by blood. <laughs> okay, I think we're gonna get started. Um, hello. I am Erica Anderson. I am with The City, which is a nonprofit news organization in New York City. And this event is part of our uh, Missing Them Memorial. And um, just a few uh, housekeeping things. Um, we're going to be recording this event. So if you don't want to be a part of that, just turn your video off and you won't be. Um, and we, if you can change your view to speaker view, one time I'm talking or in general, and our when they speak, and that'll be a more satisfying experience, I think, for all of you. Um, so welcome. Thank you all for being here. Um, if you have any questions throughout uh, our time, please feel free to put them in the chat and we'll also hopefully have some time at the end for you to be able to ask them. You can just raise your hand and we'll unmute you. Um, this project, Missing Them, was born out of a desire to write an obituary for every New Yorker that we've lost to COVID. Um, that unfortunately is uh, around 25,000 people at this point, and very few of them have actually had obituaries written by them. And this is something that was brought to our attention that the majority of people who have these obituaries written um, tend to skew white and male and live in Manhattan in New York. And we know that that's not the population that has been hit most hard by um, this pandemic. So we have been partnering with, um, with different unions and different groups to try to get the names and contact information for families um, who have lost someone to COVID. And at this point, we've spoken to 2,000 families and we've written close to 300 obituaries, which we're, you know, it's, it, we're, we're chipping away at this. Um, and also one of our other projects uh, at the city is called the Open Newsroom, which is where we go into neighborhoods that tend to not be served very well by their news at, at the moment and, and have big information gaps. Um, and we have a collaborative experience where we ask them, what do you need? What, what, what do you need to thrive in your community? How can we help you as a news organization? Um, and then during the pandemic, when our meetings went online, we heard 
along with wanting help with jobs and staying in their apartment and access to food, that one of the things people were having a really hard time with was figuring out how to grieve and how to mourn for their loved ones and for their city. Um, and part of when, you know, when we are not, when we lose our sort of typical rituals around this stuff, it's, it's very hard for us to process the emotions and we get sort of stuck. So that is where this, um, this project was, was born out of. And uh, later today, we have a sharing from families who have lost uh, people to COVID from four to seven today. Um, they will be coming onto Zoom and reading obituaries and telling stories for their loved ones. So if, if you can come back, we would love to have you bear witness to those people. Um, so the majority of this memorial event over this weekend is really an offering for people to share stories. But we also know that people need tools and tactics and support and anchors for how to deal with their emotions. So we have gathered this group of incredible experts here today um, to hopefully give us some tools and solace for ways that we can get through. Um, so that is my intro. <laughs> Welcome. Um, and to start, uh, I would like to ask one of our, our guests, uh, Francesca Maxime, to read a poem that she wrote um, to, to set us off on the right note. So Francesca, take it away. Thank you, Erica, and um, it's lovely to see all of your faces and to be gathered and holding space with one another today uh, on this Saturday uh, in December. Here in 2020, a year that uh, none of us will, will quickly forget. <clears throat> this is a poem I wrote living, I live in, in, in Brooklyn and I wrote it I don't normally date my poems, but it was written on April 8th um, of this year, 2020. So it's called The Sound of Sirens, <clears throat> COVID-19 on 4820 New York City. From the shower of my Brooklyn apartment, finally getting clean at 5 p.m., even though I have been up since 4.30 this morning, I hear an ambulance siren and notice they don't seem to come by as frequently as they did just a few days ago, or even as often as they did a couple of weeks ago. They say we are at the apex. This afternoon, I watched a webinar given by an NYU professor specializing in the great disasters of New York. He went back to the 1800s, describing how out of these blizzards, bombings, and flus, we emerged with a better subway, a more diversified economy, and that tech companies and downtown Manhattan residents were a good replacement to help regenerate the city after 9-11, the 2008 economic crisis, and bank bailouts. The professor suggested that when this pandemic is over, whatever that means, we'll all have our temperatures checked regularly before entering buildings or shared spaces. That movie theaters will have seats miles apart. That the Nets and the Knicks won't hold games nor be missed much since they're such terrible teams anyhow. And that buildings will be retrofitted and COVID proofed in much the same way that our post 9-11 airports now require x-ray screeners along with our de-shoeing and disrobing. He says, the new New York economy should include building a sleek biotech center in Queens. Corona, the part of that borough with the highest death rate from coronavirus, currently lacking Manhattan's big name research hospitals. I recall the Instagram social media post and aerial photo of billionaire music mogul David Geffen's yacht in the Caribbean. His counsel, I'm hoping everybody is staying safe, and I am reminded of the article I read describing the architectural designs of bunkers the rich are installing in their homes so they can be quarantined safely at will with comfort. My shower's head sprays me clean with piped in treated water. I haven't prayed in years and ask no one if this is a holy moment. 
I notice the silence, the audible desert in between the blaring red ambulance horn, spinning, signaling another trip to or from the hospital, carrying perhaps another body or maybe a man or woman still filled with life and with breath. The news reports clearly tally their ages, but not their races. We know their bus and cab drivers, MTA workers, grocery store clerks, restaurant delivery men, black and brown, the newspaper photo of the woman cleaning the subway without mask or glove lingers in my mind, as do the other photos of the third grade teacher from Brownsville and the greeter, Miss Janice at the Brooklyn YMCA. Taking a walk in Prospect Park through my mask, I say hello to the men and women without them, cleaning up trash identified as parks and rec staff by their green boiler suits. He replies, how you doing? As I pass by, my first time out of the house in three weeks. Unlike some shower heads with long and pointy nozzles or removable handheld controls, mine is plain silver with a wide flat head, reminding me on this first day of Passover of the photos of those I had seen in the chambers of Auschwitz, once spewing either water or gas or perhaps both. On this day, I wonder if the sounds of the trains shuttling to and from Dachau and Buchenwald were as loud and frequent as these Brooklyn sirens, or if the trains were more muffled, muted, silent, as the people they passed by were, as my apartment building is now. Another ambulance blares by, the time elapsed in between the sounds, now long enough to write this poem, whereas just a week ago, another siren would have emerged with the start of each stanza or even a new line's beginning. Cleansing myself so late in the day, I ponder why I even bothered. Is it better late than never? Can I start my day over again fresh now? If I feel clean, will I gain motivation? I look at the shower head, dripping flat and cold. I wonder what is the cost of the silence between the sirens? I wonder how loud, how jarring and frequent the ringing must be to get me into the shower earlier for this mundane ritual purification. I wonder how many sirens it will take to surface me from my slumber, to rouse me from my warm bed's cocoon, to clean up to clean off, perhaps to arise anew, to at last wake up, and like these droplets, let the sound of the silence between these sirens sink in. Thank you, Francesca. Thank you. We all could take three breaths together. I would really appreciate it just for us all to be here. Thank you. So I would like to introduce our guests here today. First, we have Francesca Maxime. She is a somatic psychotherapist, a trauma healing practitioner, an award-winning poet, as we all have heard, an embodied anti-racism educator and a former television news anchor based in Brooklyn. She works with adults, couples, groups, and organizations online in the US and worldwide to help support well being. She also hosts, hosts the Rerooted podcast on Ram Das's Be Here Now network, focusing on social justice, mindfulness, and the creative arts. And we've posted her bio in the chat along with links um, for her, to her work and to her, her website. We will post those again. <laughs> Next, we have Dr. Julie Caldwell. She's a psychologist and author and founder of the Evolutionary Power Institute. Julie pivoted from a traditional psychodynamic framework to one that now focuses on translating the wisdom of the body. She believes that relationships are our best teachers, and with that in mind, coaches many couples, 
leads a variety of groups and supports individuals in their transformation through the impact of life crises. She has written three books, including her just published, The Inner Map, Navigating Your Emotions to Create the World You Want. She lives in Boulder, Colorado, my hometown, with her wife of 32 years and their two canine Americans. And last, Reverend Dr. Willard Ashley is a pastor, get ready for this folks, okay? <laughs> pastor, psychoanalyst, professor, president, board member, CEO, consultant, coach, and racial justice advocate. He has found more ways to help his community that can be found. One-on-one -on -one counseling, webinars, consultations, coaching, and supervision. Willard is the founder and senior pastor of the Abundant Joy Community Church in Jersey City. He served as a pastor for 38 years at four congregations. He's a board member at Andover Newton Seminary at Yale Divinity School and a board member and faculty of the New Jersey Institute for the Training of Psychoanalysts. He is a New Jersey state certified and nationally certified psychoanalyst and has published numerous books. His latest is New Rules for Radicals, TNT for Faith-Based Leaders. Ashley, in 2012, Willard was granted tenure and appointed by President Greg Mast as the first African-American Dean of the seminary in the 200 plus year history of the New Brunswick Theology Seminary. And he retired this year in July to have more time to talk to people like us. So thank you all for being here so, so much. And I just wanted to take a quick moment to remind us of who might be here in the audience today who are tuning in. These are people who have lost loved ones, who've cared for people who were sick, those who've been sick themselves, people who've been isolated from any kind of touch or care for months, people who've had their tools for mental health taken away, people who are struggling to stay connected. I've heard many say they feel like they are floating away and are paralyzed and those that are experiencing numbness from too much caring. We have people who've lost their jobs and their homes and are raising kids without all the tools that they normally do. Some are angry at our political system and, uh, and uh, the response to this pandemic and who still continue to show up to events like this. And um, I am just in awe of all of you that are here and I'm so grateful that you've chosen to spend your time here with us. So to begin, I'm going to unspotlight myself so you can see our speakers as they speak. Um, Willard and Julie and Francesca, we keep hearing that we are in an unprecedented time and so many of us are struggling to, to feel any kind of normalcy. Um, can you talk about what you're seeing right now with the people who come to visit you. And I think for a lot of us, we don't know what a normal response would be to this time that we're living through. I, I saw a, a t-shirt um, yesterday that said, I, uh, I long for precedented times. <laughs> so, right, that word unprecedented. Uh, what I see is uh, kind of this deer in the headlights thing. And it, early in this, I um, noticed in my feed was a lot of breathe and move and like actually trying to get centered and calm, which is all great. What I never did post, but I would uh, just invite anybody here to do would be actually a little bit more like this, like a freak out, like freak out. Like well, there's a whole thing. I won't do it right now. It's hard on Zoom, especially I'm connected, uh, to, to just get up and run around the room and freak out yeah. so that what I see is people very frozen and trying to orient and see uh, what is the response? What do I do? So that's mostly what I see is people kind of conquered down in our bodies. I think even Zoom kind of pulls for that, like, okay, like sitting versus uh, it's okay to move and it's okay to breathe. And it might even be okay to to feel and, and feel better. Thank you. Francesca? Um, thank you, Julie. Yeah, I certainly can echo what you uh, just said uh, by the wisdom in the body, which is that there is often a um, 
a survival response around uh, how we manage stress. And um, to your point, this is an unprecedented uh, sort of conflagration of events um, that in many ways was um, from a mindfulness or Buddhist lens that I often see things through, um, you know, subject to causes and conditions uh, through time. Um, in so far as that we've arrived here from somewhere. However, uh, you know, we haven't always, always uh, paid a lot of attention to that, or some segments of the population haven't always paid a lot of attention to that. And as such, in our bodies, <clears throat> we have a certain degree of wisdom, and we have a certain degree of our own unique way of, of, of learning how to manage and adapt to the moment. And I think that what you just described is that sort of frozen state we call it a dorsal vagal somatic response. And it's sort of that shutdown state where we sort of um, is the base level from evolutionary, you know, physiology that animals when they're responding to life threat, just shut down. They just, they, they defecate, they just sort of go into slumber, they just sort of kind of check out. So I just want to just honor that if that's happening for you, that it's actually perfectly like 100% beautifully organized in your um, mammalian system that this is this is our origin you know uh, story here yeah. and that from that place when we bring awareness to that then we can start to have some compassion there and say oh this isn't something wrong with me this isn't something bad it's not like i should be making sourdough and doing online <laughs> yoga classes five times a day it's just that yeah yeah there's there's a lot here with the grief or with the uh, uncertainty or whatever and this is how my body is just managing day to day and that's a beautiful thing and the more compassion and the more awareness that I can bring to that situation and the more understanding really, because it's impersonal in some ways, uh, in much the same way that <clears throat> COVID is both very personal and also entirely impersonal, very strange, right? Um, that we can begin to sort of uh, work with that, I think. So a, a, lot of, a lot of the folks that I see, to your point, Erica, to your question, are in that place of sort of freeze or shut down. And then we just work to do some of the things that Julie mentioned to kind of uh, allow ourselves to realize that we're in the present moment and that we're still, we're still here. Parts of us may be, you know, needing to kind of pull away a little bit or dissociate a little bit, but that we are here breathing. Thank you. And, and Willard, I'm wondering as, if you can talk to us a little bit about when people come to see you or rather you show up on Zoom to see them what are they coming with? What, what are they asking from you? What is, what is their story and the, the help that they are asking for if they know how to ask for help? Sure, well, first I wanna say thank you for hosting this. Thank you, Erica, and thank you to the city mm -hmm. for making this available to people. It's, it's so needed, so necessary, so, so thank you for, for, for that. And I, I was amazed that I shared with you before your, your sense of being a community organizer and going out and, and interviewing 2,000 people and doing what you've done. So the, the, the person that, you know, the, the radical in me said, yay, thank you. The pastoral care person, the caregiver says that people have come into the office and exactly what my two uh, colleagues have, have said, I might say it a little differently, but they, they've come in and they often ask, so is this normal? And I will say, you know, I don't want to pathologize apologize common responses to trauma and and so I, I, I take after um, the words of, of my, my late mentor dr. Phyllis Harrison Ross who's considered the mother of black psychiatry and she would say there's nothing wrong with you but what happened to you is wrong and let's hear those stories let's talk about that and 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 in talking about that yes those stories are housed in your body yes they're in your embedded in your in your brain but, but let's get some movement, Let, let's say, as you're telling the story. And so one of the things that hooked me, quote unquote, into psychoanalysis and psychotherapy was Alexander Lowen, who, who did something called bioenergetics. And his whole piece was around basically your body tells a story that oftentimes we don't, we don't recognize in, in our quote unquote talk therapy modality. So I try to get people, if they're able, to move their body and to normalize, as others have said, the experiences that they're going through and that they're, you know, this is, this is common. I won't say it's normal per se, because I always say, what's normal? But this is a common experience. If you interview X amount of people, you will find that they're going through the same thing. It, 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 it's, it's sad and, and, and my heart goes out to the people who have lost someone 
It goes out to the caregivers of different professions, but, but also the people that, that have gone through the hospital, have been sick, and they're recovering because they're discovering new parts of them that did or didn't work the same way. I remember my first time I had surgery, and I'll close with this part of it. And I said, you think you know me, but right now I don't know myself because my body's doing some things it never did before. And so I'm learning along with you. And so I try to encourage people that, that you, you're, you're learning a new you. And, and, and I think to, most important to be kind to yourself and be kind to others. Thank you all. Um, I realize that I have sort of a vague understanding of what trauma and grief uh, can have on our physical body. And you guys have, all three of you have brought this up of sort of that these things live in the body. And I haven't really used my body that much in the last nine months. <laughs> um, can you speak a little bit about what sort of what's happening to us physically? What is a trauma response? You, I, uh, Francesca, you mentioned this and Julie both this sort of shut down, but can you, can you talk about the sort of mind-body connection that happens with trauma? Francesca, keep going. <laughs> you're on exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You you're so sweet. Um, well, I, you know, again, this is a collaborative, um, uh, you know, endeavor, and 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 in no small part, we're actually all co-regulating right now. Even though we're pixels, and even though some of you are only hearing my voice, or I'm only sensing your presence, there's total non-video participants, 42, 67 in all, so there's maybe another 20 or 25 here. But there's actually something happening in our relational field right now. Just as you notice that the tone of my voice, or the expression in my face, or as I notice the expression in your face, that there's something happening now to our nervous system as we are that hopefully is enabling us to simply hold space for one another. Simply be able to create a sense of, in this moment in time, in this field with one another, more so than not, perhaps it is all right for me to breathe without fear of something happening for this moment and just titrating that experience holding the truth and reality of all of the things that are happening and have been happening and here and now just looking at one another's faces and you can even just do this as we're here as I'm looking into Erica's eyes and Linda's eyes and Claire's eyes and Judy's eyes I'm just sort of taking in Daryl and Gloria and Melissa, Sherry and Sylvia, Leslie, Jennifer. Just notice that there is a way to bring ourselves into a moment of presence that doesn't always just have to be a traumatic response. Now, trauma, in my little shorthand definition, has often been too much, too fast, too soon. So it's the surprise, the betrayal, the unexpected, the uncertainty, and how we may be sort of in a place where there's something that we might want to do that gets aborted because to do it at that moment would have been deadly. And so we don't do what we actually would have liked and naturally wanted to do, which is what animals in the wild do we make an adaptation, we make an adjustment. And that is a beautiful thing because that enables us, us to breathe and survive and live another day. And the thing that's different about humans is we'll often hold on to that adaptation without the awareness that there might now be the possibility to allow that place that was locked in and fused with that response at that time to open it up and uncouple it from that particular response all the time, right? Every, what do they say? Every hammer thinks everything's a nail or something, you know? And that we can offer different 
tools today because it's not so needed there all the time. And so in my, in my estimation, just in, to, to close, it's more the idea of all righty. Well, this is again, a beautiful reason why we have this experience in our bodies. It's because something happened that, as you said um, so beautifully, Dr. Ashley, uh, that you know, it's, it's, it's not what happened to you that was, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. It's that what's wrong is what happened to you. And let's kind of get into that. And as we can kind of go into that, like we can, you know, we can then start to work with how that lives in the body and then allowing the body today to do what it otherwise couldn't have done then and that now is safe to do. So beautiful. So beautiful. I just love your voice. <laughs> I want to add in a, a, a simple way that I think about basically walking through the world is that um, much of the time we're in what I think of as creative brain, this open expanded state, it's a beautiful day. Uh, our, our, our bodies are in a relaxed state. Um, and then because reactive brain is there, it's part of our whole uh, setup, our brain structure is to be constantly scanning for threat. Yay, it worked, we're all here today because our brains worked and that's, uh, that's a great thing, except that for many of us, we don't even know that we're in reactive brain. Like we, don't, we don't know that's a thing that's happening. It's it kind of hijacked our whole nervous system. So being even, even able to tell the difference between reactive brain and creative brain and have some sense in you that, uh, that adrenalized kind of cortisolized response that every time you hear that siren, we don't know at this right you're hearing the siren your whole body is is going into this place of oh god this could, is a potential threat because it is and that is that is smart and wise of your body but it does mean that it's going to take time for you to, to metabolize that to actually move that through your physiology and just knowing that little bit some days i, I something happens uh, my body feels triggered and i'm like oh god it's going to take me 15 to 30 minutes to metabolize adrenaline. That's handy to know. It's just going to take time for my body to do what it does to digest uh, those hormones and all of that stuff that's going on to get me ready to run away or fight, fight or flight, uh, or freeze, as Francesca was describing so beautifully, like that stopping and that frozen uh, little bunny moment. Um, think about those bunnies, though right? We have bunnies in our yard right now, <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, they freeze down, but then they, they, they spring forward. Humans, we tend to freeze down without that next kind of experience of moving out of that freeze response. And I think that's um, when people feel really bad uh, and depressed and like they don't want to move or leave, well, right, wherever we can leave right now. But it's that sense of uh, okay, I'm in that freeze response. I don't know how to get myself out of it to activate. So anything to be able to move and just even, even if I'm in a deep freeze, uh, because my brain has already decided that that means everything outside of me is especially beloveds that are squeezed in the same little places. <laughs> brain has decided that these uh, folks are your enemy so even wriggling my little toe, like just trying to get my body out of that freeze state from the very most micro movement. And then if, it's, if I can start to move my body more, um, uh, if I can finally do something, some major shaking is a great thing to do, shake it, shake it, to put on that dance music and let yourself really rip it. Like, all of those things to interrupt that and then to help your body move. Um, do what it does really well. It knows how to digest. It, it knows that if we can get out of the way with our minds, our minds imply and over, <laughs> overwhelm our bodies so much, but our bodies when left, uh, they know if we can follow the, the natural impulses, they know how to digest this and process it so that we can move back to that expanded uh, state that is really our natural given, given state of joy uh, eventually coming back out. It's like the clouds leave, uh, you can see the sun that's been there all along. 
that's how we come in. And so it's there still. Uh, we just need to know to go for it, to work for it. Thank you, Julie. I just add to this is a great this is a great tag tag team. So I, I thank both of you. Um, we have we have an eleven pound four year old Shih Tzu, oh. and when something startles her, she shakes, and then she's okay. And we can always tell like we missed what started. We know something because she, she'll shake it off, and then after she shakes it off, she's back to being loving and joyful and, and happy. However, to muddy the water a little bit. The people that I see on a regular basis are Black, Indigenous, people of color. And for us, and I won't say them for us, that, that trauma, it's that racialized trauma is every day. And I found myself doing workshops being more transparent than my psychoanalytic training would have me to be. Because in connecting with other people, I've said it sheepishly in the beginning of the pandemic, and I say it much more boldly now, not because of my age, not because of any pre-existing conditions, but because of the society in which we live in right now, the racially charged society in which we live in right now. When I leave my home and I come back in one piece, I'm ecstatic. And I have all those letters after my name, as you pointed out, and books and stuff. And I can have on this suit or my jogging suit, it, it doesn't matter. And we were on, on the phone yesterday with the county prosecutor in the town in which I live, talking about just walking the dog, just going to the store, the names that have been called, on top of the fact that people that do what I do have eulogized more people than we've ever done in a short amount of time. And that the people that, that come to us on the pastoral end, on the spiritual end, are saying on top of all the horrors of this pandemic, and I mistakenly wrote a piece in Yale that said it was a twin pandemic. It's really a triple pandemic. It's COVID-19, systemic racism, and petty politics. <laughs> and all three of those impact us at the same time. And so the people that are Black, Indigenous, people of color are dealing with, with all three of those. And so where I try to encourage to turn off the fight flight response I realize that I'm not authentic with them if I tell them that because we are constantly scanning. We are constantly looking. There is this aura or air of suspicion and rightfully so. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to ask all of you, um, being able to, it seems like being able to notice that you're in that frozen spot is like the first thing <laughs> that you know that to then be able to say like okay maybe I can shake it off and and Dr. Ashley you've mentioned that giving people anchors that they can sort of grab onto in that in these times and sort of like how what are ways that we can catch ourselves when we're sort of in these stories um and I if, if you could speak to that a bit the anchors that you're providing mm -hmm. to people when you're seeing them sure so uh, Dr. Kenneth Hardy, who's kind of who's an expert on racialized trauma, but also is a very good psychologist, had, had brought to our attention that well, I've always known the stories have power. That part I knew as the preacher, but the kind of stories that that we found that were helpful are stories of survival, stories of suffering, stories of searching, if if you will, stories of strength, and building upon the strengths. And so listening to those stories of what helped you in times past, and again, rather than pathologize, let's find the places that, that you find strength. What are those resources? They, they may be scripture, they may be poems, they may be sacred dance, it may be a support system. I mean, then one of the things that, that we're finding or hearing often is that I live alone. And so it's great for you because you have a family and a dog and anything, but I live by myself. And I'm, I'm not an introvert like you are, I'm an extrovert person. So people say, you know, so living alone by myself is hell for me. And, and, and so we try to find creative ways that people can connect and no Zoom isn't perfect, but it does allow as others have said, some sense of connection, some sense of being, I can be in your space. One of the things that I think as a therapist has been helpful for, at least for me, is I get to enter your home now. 
you know, otherwise you come into my office and I get to, wow, I get to see your books. I get to see, you know, the, the Zoom bombing from the family members or the cat or the dog or the hamster, <laughs> or, whatever. <laughs> and so, so that's been very helpful for me. I'm like, oh, I'm taking it all in. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. But as far as people finding, finding an anchor, and I've had atheists ask the same question, just in case you're right, you know, what, what are some anchors? Is again, looking at those disciplines they may be spiritual, they may be walks through nature, they may be being more aware. I've heard that so many times, people saying I'm more aware of my surroundings in my own home, as though I found something new that I didn't know. I didn't realize that this spider web was there or this cobweb was there or that this book was turned upside down because I have a new awareness. And as we started earlier, just being aware of your breathing, being aware of, of, of your body, and I've reached the aging stage and wake up in the morning. Hey, it's a great day. I can figure out everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I want to um, just kind of support what Francesca did earlier, um, where you were looking in our eyes, you were talking to us, we were breathing together. So a, a big discovery for me of this whole Zoom experience has been uh, it actually matters. So yes, it's nice to have people in 3D. I just want to be really clear about that. Really like bodies. And doing this, seeing you all uh, matters to me that I can have that these times of connection. Especially laughing um, has been this whole new like experience of, oh, and I can laugh with people. Uh, that, that really helps my whole body shift. So in terms of anchoring, to, to support any kind of uh, actual connection be it uh, be it uh, nobody else in your apartment but you, except that we are here. We are here. So to, to, we are the anchors with each other that uh, you are not alone. And I get it how it can feel so tremendously isolating. Absolutely. And you are not alone. So, so to find our eyes, to find our faces, to, to look into us and to know we are out there with you. On that note, oh, sorry, Francesca, go ahead. Um, well, I just wanted to, um, again, like the tag, the tag team or whatnot, just um, echo what Julie said, but also what um, Dr. Ashley said earlier too. Um, I guess, I don't know who's Dr. Julie, Dr. <laughs> um, you know, um, is, is that two things. One, we're here and normalizing that we're really just in a state of collective grief often. And, and that, and so normalizing that, and that mourning is an active process and grief is an active process when done well. And I say well in the sense of when allowed to actually flourish and unfold. I don't mean that there's a right way to do it. I mean that allowing it to unfold and allowing a part of us that feels grounded and connected and is still breathing to be with the part of us that is grieving the loss of a loved one is grieving the fact that perhaps we are a long COVID hauler and we have a shortened sense of breath or don't feel physically well as we did before. And that both are true. It is not, I'm either this or that. It is that I am in this process of recognizing how today is different from six months ago and how I'm able to kind of recognize what is available to me here and also hold space with compassion for what is not available to me here that was available to me prior. And that I may have a feeling about that. It may be a longing, it may be a disappointment, it may be a sadness or a betrayal and to make space for that also. And I also wanted to just mention what, um, what Willard was saying is um, I often see a lot of, um, you know, clients that have been marginalized, marginalized by structural uh, inequity and, 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 and racism and, and, and dynamics that, you know, are across the board um, from cishet, what does Bell Hooks call it? The imperialist, colonialist, cisgendered, <laughs> heterosexual patriarchy or something like that. Anyway, um, that whole thing of, you know, I am only here because you're there. And I need to maintain here or as close to here as I can get, which means that I need you to be here. 
that we're all breathing this. It's carbon monoxide. We don't realize that we are because it's been normalized. That's what Dr. Hardy talks about. Um, you know, we, we think we're just sort of like in this life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, you know, sort of idea. But eh, when we look a little more deeply, it's like, like the water in Flint. It's not the same over there as it is in Poland Springs, right? So the idea that <clears throat> you wake up with, I believe the word you used was suspicion, Dr. Willard. I mean, I've given the last, I'd say five years, maybe to sort of unpacking this. I'm a Haitian Dominican, Italian American woman with um, light skinned or white racial advantage or, and grew up with an Italian family and not so much with my, you know, Caribbean family. And I was invited to sort of lean into this structural, you know, anti-racism work, if you will, um, just to really kind of look at through the Buddhist teachings, like of, you know, right view and recognizing what's actually here, what is here, what's happening inside in our body personally, like we've been talking about, but also what's actually like really here, right? Like outside structurally at a macro level. And when we begin to kind of look at some of that, you really do see, well, there's a reason why the suspicion is there and it's in our nervous systems and our bodies and it's okay. It's okay that it would be there for centuries of actually like, if you're in a black or brown body, not being humanized and actually being devalued. And when you learn certain things like, yeah, well, you're not allowed to testify against a white person if you're black in a court of law, like that the law was set up that way. And so, to think about, you know, legal fairness now, like, yeah, I don't know if I really believe in that. Vaccinations, of course, I do think they're okay. We've talked about the woman who is a black female physician who developed the vaccine, which is wonderful. And, um, you know, I think that that's amazing, but that there's a history there. So that suspicion is, is of using black and brown bodies for gynecological experiments and other random, awful, dehumanizing things. So I just want to bring in a structural awareness to the fact that what we're experiencing now is intergenerational, collectively, in terms of whether or not we're feeling extra bad if we happen to have white or light skin racial advantage, because there may be a you know, whole host of sort of shame or shutdown or pullback or whatever that is inherited also, which I think is sort of our moral compass, bringing us back into what I like to invite in, which is an elegant ferocity to come into compassionate engagement with our own self and with our society. And then also with this other piece of, okay, if I'm in a black or brown body, I do have a unique experience here or other marginalized, you know, position in my social location and my positionality and how do we work with 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 both because we are causally interrelated but instead of really knowing because we talked about awareness inside knowing that the structural piece of society is tiered right not that it needs to be not that it would be if you're indigenous and you're looking at the creator and you're looking at waters and rivers and mountains and the way the sun comes up and you know the rivers flow but that this is what has been structured for extraction and power. And we could, you know, not get into a ton of that, but we, that is sort of the reasons why. And we can then do what we're doing now, same as no better or worse than anyone else. I'm enough and I matter. Here we are together, breathing, sharing, listening, being. Thank you for that and for the work that you're doing. Um, I wanna transition from structure to something a little more lofty. And this is for you, uh, Sir Reverend Dr. Willard Ashley, as our direct connection today to the god or goddess upstairs. Um, can you speak to us a little bit about um, about how someone who maybe doesn't have a spiritual practice right now would would take steps towards that and and who knows what what faith that would be but that is something i'm hearing a lot from people of like mm -hmm. sure seems like i need some more help <laughs> and maybe a spiritual practice is one of those things whether you have a spiritual practice or not whether it's secular approach or spiritual approach, at the end of the day, each of us needs some sense of hope. And it's being able to hold on to a sense of, of hope and to find perhaps those small kernels of, of hope. Some people may say, wow, there's a vaccine on the way. 
we're hearing the language that we actually can believe now that we're nearing the light at the end of the tunnel. And it may not be nine months away, it may not only be six months away. So having a sense of, of, of hope, and, and, and if you're quote unquote secular, as we heard in the beginning of this conversation, there, there are lovely poems out there that give us strength, that give us insight, that give us a sense of, of, of hope. Um, in working with, with people who preach on a regular basis and meet, you know, including myself, yes, the world is, yes, things are horrible. Yes, things are challenging. All the things we talked about, yes, systems are stacked against certain people. But in the midst of that, you always try to find a sense of hope. For those of us that are believers, it's look up to heaven and, and expect the God of all comfort to come and to be helpful. Those that aren't believers, to find, as it was said earlier, that you're not in this alone. You're not alone. We are in this together. And if you feel isolated, and that is your reality, to reach out to someone. You know, I, I found that one of the best ways to be a caregiver is to actually care about people. Put aside the degrees, put aside the publications and all of that, and to really care about people. Um, I was challenged this, this week and someone said, so who in your life would you be willing to walk through a wall for or take a bullet? And who would walk through a wall for you or take a bullet? And why would they do that? And at the end of the day, the answer became the person or persons who showed that they cared about me as a person not an offering envelope, not a case number, not, not, not my three o'clock patient that I see every week, but really cared about me and cared about the things that I care about. Those are the people that leave a lasting impression on us, a positive lasting impression, because someone actually cares about me as a person. That I believe is, is, is an anchor. That I believe is a sense of hope. That to me says I'm not in this world alone and by myself. Thank you. And I, I love this, this idea of hope because I, you know, we can so easily get lost in what is not hopeful. The list goes on and on. And we've talked about sort of getting stuck in those in those stories. So I think for my my final question, I'd love to know from from you three, what is it that's giving you hope right now? What are you seeing in the people you're seeing in the world, in your community, in yourself? What where is your hope coming from, if you have it? <laughs> well, I want to speak to that and dovetail onto what Willard was talking about a little bit, because for those folks that might be much more on the secular um, side of things, so. so what, what do people do? Well, there's this really sort of, okay, I shouldn't use the word magical here if I'm trying to go secular, but there's this superpower that, that we have as humans. Uh, perhaps all um, sentient beings have this, I don't know. I don't know how to talk to them about it yet, um, but it's our awareness. And this, uh, Bruce Lipton said, um, we can regulate our, let's see, we can regulate our, our molecules with our awareness. I mean, just to think about that, I can regulate my molecules with my awareness. There's this interface between my awareness and what's happening in my body. That's incredible to me. So the thing that I haven't brought in that I thought, oh, I really be sure is that Awareness, like how do you in what do you how do you process emotions? How do you do that? How do you digest emotions? Well, you put we put our awareness on the sensation. Like right now, people, all of us, can put my awareness on. Oh, my uh, shoulders being a little tight, and I was leaning forward. Oh, as soon as I put my awareness on that, there's a shift happening in my body. And some of it is because I sat backwards, but some of it's simply because of that moment of awareness to matter does this thing called transformation. And uh, that is hope to me because th that is my power as a, as a human being walking on this planet, that is my power that I can come into my body, I can experience everything that's happening, no, 
the things that I'm, that I'm actually going through in my body, I can experience the grief. What is that? Well, it's anger. It's fear. I didn't know that till recently, how much fear I have when I'm, when I'm grieving. Of course, it's sadness. It's, it's staying with that depth, that deep pool of sadness and sobbing. Think of sobbing as um, uh, yoga for the lungs, like that kind of like really letting my body do what it's designed to do to move that emotion through. Um, Because then I can get to the other side of that, at least maybe in this 15 seconds. And I can get to that moment of, oh, I feel better because there's joy. Like I didn't know that grief had joy in it. So to normalize that also, that it's all of it. I think of this when my mother died many years ago, kind of this dial, I would dial through sadness and then anger. That was shocking to me at the time. Oh, now I know why. Uh, And then fear and joy was on the dial. And that was a big surprise to me. So where's the hope? The hope is on that dial to keep moving it through. And that when I'm um, in that state, um, I'm back in connection and connection with all that is with myself deeply. And, and there we are. I mean, that's, that's what hope is for me. Can I just add to that? Because you, you touched, touched the nerve. My mother, my mother died on my birthday, literally. And I probably had complicated grief. And it wasn't until one day I said, you know what? I'm not going to be crying all day this day on this birthday. And I literally caught a plane, flew to upstate New York and saw a Chris Rock comedy concert (laughs) (laughs) and just laughed my butt off the entire night. And so to your point about that joy, that, that, that changed it for me, that, that turned it around. My mother still died on my birthday. Still had feelings about that, but I gave myself permission to have moments of, of, of joy. And, and so for me, the, the hope in the midst of all of this is to find those moments of, of joy and to recognize and to see that again, they're not alone. And there's a flurry of activity of people that are trying to get well, so to speak, and feel better and to change this world and not just be apathetic and indifferent to say, you know what, this is messed up. This, this, this pandemic highlighted some things I thought now, now it's front and center. And when, I'm not gonna be frozen. I wanna do something about it. That gives me a sense of hope. Yeah, I guess um, those are both beautiful, beautiful contributions and reflection. Thank you. And I appreciate the um, balancing or the integration or the allowing really of joyful, um, you know, space and, 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 and response also, um, because again, it's not binary. You know, we talk a lot about um, non-binary uh, uh, when it comes to, you know, sexual orientation and, and, and sort of, you know, gender identification and things like that. But really, like, most things are really not that binary, <laughs> kind of on a continuum. And, and, and my, um, my orientation in terms of, uh, you know, sort of spiritual practices is sort of this idea of faith. That, that it's, 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 for me, hope is something that I tend to associate personally with like trying to have there be a different outcome at some other point that's like more um, palatable than the current environment. Whereas faith for me is something that has a little bit more like constancy or a little bit more, um, I don't know, it's kind of not as sexy, but it's also (laughs) a little bit more just like for me feels a little more reliable, kind of like an old tractor or something (laughs) where to have faith, in that something new emerges. What exactly that is, I'm not 100% sure, but that it cannot and will not stay as it is forever because there is always something shifting and that we are process. Even the river itself is always changing and we are part of that river. And so for me, I think um, orienting there and trying to share that with clients because I see lots of clients on day in, day out and do other, you know, teaching opportunities like this is just to sort of say, how can we see what's here, hold on to what's here and see where we are in the process and just be open without associating uncertainty and unfamiliarity with horror, because often we do. Uncertainty and unfamiliarity can also be elegant, beautiful surprise can also be uh, beauty. Um, and that if we shut down 
um, to the point of, of, of closing off to that, but we have faith that it's possible if we remain a little bit curious, just a little bit, just a little bit open, and we have faith in process that we can open to also something new happening that may be feeling more nourishing to us in our communities. Thank you all so much. We are going to wrap up here in just a minute or so. I will make sure that links to all of your websites and your work will go in the chat as well as other resources that we have gathered, mental and spiritual health resources to share with you all. Those resources and this video will be sent to you in an email for those of you who are here now. We have all of your emails because you registered. Um, that might take a couple of days, but it will come to you. Um, and last, I would like to invite you to our next session. So from this roundtable with these amazing guests, we are moving into the next event, which is an opportunity for you all to share and to connect in smaller groups. Maybe something that came up for you during this roundtable. Um, these conversations will be guided by a facilitator and we'll guide you in those groups through a series of questions to spark discussion. So feel free to share as much or as little as you like. We're hoping that these conversations will provide a place to connect and share resources and learn from each other's experiences with grief and grieving and finding joy in this time. So thank you so much. There'll be a brief pause between here so everyone can jump up and go to the bathroom and get a drink of water, stay hydrated. Um, but thank you again. Thank you all of you for being here. Thank you so much. Blessings, New York City and beyond. Thank you.